Well, good morning. We are in uh, week three of our series called Ready or Not. Uh, in this series, I'm talking all about things surrounding or having to do with the return of Christ. And the title of this series reminds us that, you know, one day Christ is coming back for his church. One day Jesus is returning for his church. And at that time will come the consummation of his kingdom, the fulfillment of all things. And it's going to happen whether we are ready or not. He's coming. We don't know when. We don't know if we have a short time or if we have a long time. But we know that he's coming. And one of the things that the Bible talks about or tells us is that that time will be preceded by a time of persecution. We see it mentioned in Revelation 2 in a letter to the church at Smyrna, as well as in Revelation 6 when John talks about the opening of the fifth seal. You know that if you've read through Revelation. And again in Revelation chapter 20, where John says that he sees the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God. Today I want to talk about the persecution of believers because of their faith. I want to give us a framework for understanding it. Because while it's true that there will be a time of intense persecution before Christ returns, it is also true that Christians have been persecuted from the days of the early church in the book of Acts all the way up to and including the present day. It's not a new thing. The video we just watched by Open Door said that 340 million Christians live in places of high persecution where they are discriminated against, persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And by discriminated against, things like when COVID strikes a country and strikes cities and people can't work and they get, you know, depend on help from others. There's government programs in a lot of the countries that will give them food, that will give them medicine, that will give them help and assistance but if they're Christian, they don't qualify for it. So by discriminated against, I don't mean just somebody won't let us do this or that or you know, puts a few restrictions. I mean they're really discriminated against and can't get the help and access to the things that uh, uh, others around them have access to. We need to talk about this for two reasons. There's two main reasons I want to talk about. I know it's what everybody was hoping for, for you know, starting off the new year. So let's talk about persecution. But we really need to do this for two reasons. One, because you and I have brothers and sisters in countries around the world who are being persecuted at this very moment. As we sit here and we stand here and we worship, we gather together in the name of Jesus and we worship and we sing. And there are we have brothers and sisters around the world right now that cannot do that. 
that have to walk miles, single file, through a jungle to get to a, uh, a secluded place to be, to, to be able to, to come together for worship and, and uh, preaching of the word, and their worship they can't even sing out loud then because it'll cost them their freedom and they'll be imprisoned or it could cost them their lives. So these believers ask for, need, and rely on our prayers. So we need to be aware so that we can pray for them. Their family, they need our help. They need our prayer. Second thing, while currently in this country, we are not being persecuted for our faith. Oh, I mean, we might get a few things that, you know, we don't agree with, laws that go our way, don't go our way, or, or you know, we might have some, some things done that, that, you know, we feel like we're being opposed for our, our, our Christian faith. But That has, not level, that has not risen to the level of persecution. And while so right now in this country, while we're not being persecuted, that can change. And I honestly believe that someday it will change. And when it does, we have to be ready. You and I have to be ready. We have to prepare ourselves. As we said last week, the time to prepare for trouble is before it hits. We cannot take for granted that we will always be free from persecution. Last week we spoke about having a good foundation for our lives, and that's where we start. That's a part of it. You know, that starts with knowing what God's Word says. So we're going to look at God's Word and see what does it tell us about persecution? What does it say to us? And I want to start with the fact that, first of all, Jesus told us that we'd be persecuted. He said that. He told us that. In John 15, Jesus said, If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. Does the world love us all? No. It says, if you, would, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And he wasn't just talking to those gathered there right then. He was talking to us. Jesus was persecuted, so we can expect the same thing because we are aligned with him and not with the world. Our alignment is with Jesus. It's not with the world. That very thing should let us know that as believers in this world, as we go through our lives, we're going to ruffle our feathers. It's not that we're obnoxious. It's not that we're, you know, um, uh, holier than thou or act like anything. Just by simply following the teachings of Jesus, some people aren't going to like it. Not everybody is going to be happy with us because the world system in which every single one of us lives is opposed to the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God, which every single believer represents and shares with their lives. The two operate by a completely different set of rules and hold to a completely different set of values. When we say yes to following Jesus, there's a cost to that decision. It could cost friends, 
It could cost family. It could cost jobs. It could cost our reputation. It could cost our freedom. And if the world persecuted Jesus, then we should expect the same. Then Jesus said in Mark 10, he said, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. A couple of things with that. That used to always confuse me until I realized something. When it says, no one who's left all these things will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, those same things, homes, brothers, sisters. My, I, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, how, how does that happen? Because, you know, I could see if it meant, you know, talking about heaven one day, talking about being with the Lord, and, you know, we'll get so much to return and all of that. But it says, in this present age. But, you know, that's true. That's the church. When we lose whatever we lose of this world, and we come into the body of Christ... That's what we gain, gain brothers and sisters and homes and all of this that we lose, all of a sudden we are enriched with the body of Christ. But along with that is persecutions. There is a cost to following Jesus, but there are so many blessings also. We may lose everything when we are persecuted, but we gain a new family with the brothers and sisters in the, in the Lord and in, in the church community. We may lose our life in this world, but we gain eternal life. You know, Jesus promised us many things. As you read through the, the scriptures, there are many promises, but he never promised a life free from difficulty or persecution. In fact, quite the opposite. He told us if we follow him, we're going to see tribulation and we would be persecuted. And the early church found that out pretty quickly because it's clear in the book of Acts that the early church experienced persecution. In Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7 is all about Stephen. It's all about Stephen. It begins with him preaching to the Sanhedrin and ends with Stephen being stoned to death as the first martyr of the church. And then in Acts 8.1, the beginning of the next chapter, Luke tells us, that after Stephen was stoned, it says a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. As I read this, I thought, Afghanistan. I thought, ISIS. I thought, people fleeing to escape it. The disciples had experienced persecution before, but now this was ramped up. It was ramped up. It became much more intense and much more widespread than it had been before, and then it continued. In Acts 13, Luke tells us that when Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, says the Jewish, le the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. And it didn't end there. 
all throughout church history, from that time up to and including the present day, there have been and there are seasons of, and waves of persecution against believers in various parts around the world, much more than we would like to admit or acknowledge. You know, in North Korea, just saying the name Jesus, just saying it, will get you thrown in prison. Just, just saying the name Jesus, and you're thrown in prison. And by prison, I don't mean a nice, clean cell where, you know, you're, you're, you're fed, you know, maybe not well, but, I mean, you're fed, you know, enough to keep you alive and, and, and all of that. It, think dungeon. Think dirty, dark, damp, hole in the ground, basically. No light. That's what it's like in North Korea and in other parts of the world. So the fact is, because Jesus said we would be persecuted, and because the early church experienced it, and the church throughout history has been persecuted, guess what? You and I can expect it as well. We can expect it. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not saying it's going to happen next week. I'm saying at some point, at some point, we are likely to be persecuted. If not us, then our kids. Like I say, right now in the United States, we live in a place where, in a time where we're not seeing this. But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You and I should not be surprised if persecution comes to us. Paul said that we can all expect it. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution tells us no believer is exempt. That doesn't mean it's constant, doesn't mean it's continual, but it's real and it's widespread. Right now in the United States, like I said, we have a, we, we're in a season where any opposition we face, and we do face some opposition at times in various ways in different places, but it hasn't risen to this level yet where you would say it's persecution, but that doesn't mean that it won't. And that's why I talked last week about building our lives on a solid foundation so that our faith is solid because when that day comes, we want to be ready and able to face it. See, our faith must be something that we live, not just something that we say. And it's tested when any kind of trouble comes along. Persecution, the fact is persecution has actually been the norm for much of the world, if not if not uh, uh, most of the world, throughout the history of the church. So if Jesus said we should expect it, and the early church experienced it, and it's currently happening around the world, the question then becomes this for you and I. When the time comes, when if that time comes, when you and I face real persecution for our faith, how are we going to face it? How do we face it? Let me give you five ways this morning quickly. One, we embrace it. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean embrace it? Just what I said. We embrace it. This is completely counterintuitive. It's completely countercultural. We embrace it. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about being given a thorn in the flesh. 
to, be, to, to keep him from being prideful because he had also received all these, these awesome and tremendous you know, uh, uh, revelations of the Lord and visions and that. And so that he wouldn't get proud about that, he was given a thorn in the flesh. And there's some debate among scholars, well, was that a sickness or was that a person? And I've, you know, uh, 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 gone back and forth at different times on, on, on what I thought for various reasons, but, but I'll, I'll tell you where I've landed on that. I believe it was a person. I believe it was a person that was harassing him and tormenting him. That's what I personally believe, because elsewhere in Scripture, whenever it talks about a thorn in the flesh, it's referring to a person. It's referring to people. Either way, you know, uh, uh, Paul pleads with God. So, you know, either way, whichever way you want to understand that, Paul pleads with God three times and, you know, to take it away. But God's response is not to take it away, but to give him the grace with which to, inface, to, with which to face it. And in response to his prayer... Uh, in response to the a- answer to prayer, Paul then says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I delight in weaknesses, in insults, or that's also uh, can be translated mistreatments. I delight in weaknesses, in insults or mistreatments, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties in behalf of Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He said he delighted in persecutions. In other words, he embraced it because he knew he didn't have to face it in his own strength. He knew that when the time came, God's strength would take over. I was wondering if you caught, if you read the subtitles along with the video that we just watched, because if you caught what the one man said with the subtitles, it says, he said, we do not pray that God will take away the hardship but that God would, should give us the grace to be able to stand. That was powerful when he said that. Now, it's not wrong to pray that it would be taken away. It's not wrong to pray that. But we need to know that if for whatever reason God doesn't take it away, he will give us the grace to be able to stand. He'll give us that grace. And it will be more than enough. It will be sufficient. It will be overflowing. It will be more than enough that we need to go through it. James 1, we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If you think back to just a moment ago in, uh, when we read Acts 8.1, you know, Luke said that after Steve, Stephen was martyred, the church scattered. And all the believers except for the apostles, they all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That's the context. And often, even today, in times of persecution, the church scatters. It scatters. I mean, that's what happened in Acts 8, and that's who, you know, who James is writing to. He's writing to those who scattered. They left their homes. They uprooted their lives to escape the persecution. I mean, think of the refugee crisis created today because of, because of ISIS. 
You know, there are towns where all the Christians, or, or, or at least the vast majority of Christians, have left those towns and fled because of the persecution that ISIS brought, and they've still not returned. The vast majority of them still not returned. They, had, they left their homes, they fled with everything, or I mean with, with nothing, left everything behind. Think about right now, if you had to run, you couldn't take anything in your house with you or very few things, and you had to run and you went somewhere and you set up and, 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 and were, were sheltered in a tent somewhere, sleeping on a mat on the ground or sleeping on a cot with all these other refugees, all these other people. And you've got nothing there. If you're lucky, you grabbed a Bible on your way out. But your MP3 players, stereos, TVs, nice furniture, everything else in your house, cookware, dishes, bed. It's not like you got a moving van, put everything in it, and then took it to this camp somewhere far from your village where you, where you might be safe. Think of that. Persecution scatters the church, not just causes them to move, but scatters. And he's writing to those who scattered. They left their homes. They uprooted their lives. No more are they able to just get up in the morning and go to work. They're not sure what happened to the rest of their family. They don't know how to contact anybody. Just to escape persecution. So James writes this letter, and he's, that's who he's writing to. He's writing to the church that's scattered, and he's writing it, and the first thing he says to them after greeting them is to consider what you're going through pure joy. I'm sorry, but that's just nuts. That is not what I consider pure joy. That's when I get stressed out. That's when I get worried. Because that's our natural reaction when something like that would happen. But he says, no, consider it pure joy. In other words, he's telling them, embrace the persecution. And then he says that if they do, if you embrace this, if you consider this pure joy, it will produce endurance. It will produce steadfastness in their lives. Now here's the thing. Here's why that's difficult for us to do. It's because we tend to judge we tend to judge the outcome of our struggles by what God does for us. I was in this mess. I was in this big struggle, and God came through, and he delivered me out of it. I didn't know how I was going to you know, pay all these bills, and boom, all of a sudden, they're done. They're wiped out. They're paid for, or, or you know, whatever mess it would be. We judge the outcome of our struggles by how God helps us, by, by what he does for us, rather than by what he does in us. And what God wants to do is he wants to work in our hearts 
He wants to do his work in us. And that's regardless of anything that's going on on the outside around us. That can change. That can, you know, uh, uh, all, all the exterior things, all that can change. But what he does in us is lasting. Hard times come and go. But when, there is endure, when we go through them and, and embrace it and go through them and stay faithful, then God is working something in us that is lasting. And he's much more interested in what he does in us than for us. Second, we face persecution with rejoicing in our hearts. Again, it sounds nuts, but that's what we're to do. We're, we choose an attitude of rejoicing, not grumbling, not complaining, not woe is me. We choose an attitude of rejoicing. We see this in the early church with the apostles. If you look at Acts 5, the apostles were arrested and thrown into prison for preaching the gospel, for healing the sick, for casting out demons. And, and, and then while they're in prison, during the night, an angel comes and lets them out. And the angel told them, go back to the temple. In other words, go back to where you were and keep doing the very thing that you were doing that they arrested you for. So they did. I don't know if that sounds like a plan to me, but they did. Guess what? They were arrested again. And they were brought before the council. And that's where we pick up in Acts 5, verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Now, this isn't just a little spanking. This is a real flogging that rips open your skin. They had them flogged, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let him go. That's persecution. The next verse tells us how they responded to it. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, so they let him go. So they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They left there rejoicing. They didn't complain. They didn't feel like, you know, feel like they were victims. They felt honored because God had considered them worthy of suffering for him. I have read account after account after account of modern-day persecutions around the world where the believers say they felt honored because they were considered worthy of suffering for Jesus. That's a whole other mindset that's hard for me to imagine. But they receive grace in the moment that allows them to rise above the suffering and rejoice in their hearts. God gives us grace Whatever we are going through, no matter how intense, how severe, how difficult, God gives us grace that allows us to rejoice in our hearts. So we embrace persecution with rejoicing in our hearts, and then we face it with prayers and praise on our lips. Later on in the book of Acts, we meet Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail. And Acts 16.25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're in the jail cell. Their feet are in stocks. And, you know, with other prisoners and, and says uh, they were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were praying. They were singing hymns. And the other prisoners, what were they doing? They were watching them. 
That little bit says so much the wor- because the world is always watching us. Always. People are watching how we handle difficulty. People are watching how we handle opposition. People are watching how we handle suffering. People are watching how we handle stress. They're watching our actions and listening to what we say and watching what we do, and they notice when there's a difference. This doesn't have anything to do with persecution, but when Lisa was working, um, uh, uh, she worked for the records and admissions office at IU when she gave her life to Christ. And it was a pretty stressful office at the time. Everybody was, you know, frantic and stressed out and going nuts. And one day someone came up to her and said, how are you so peaceful all the time? Everyone here around here, everyone else is just so stressed out all the time but you're always so peaceful. What's different with you? People notice how we respond to the things that go on around us. How we respond to both big things that happen and small annoyances that happen matter. How we respond matters because people are watching us. And if we ever have a time where we are legitimately being persecuted, I mean, let's face it with prayers and praise on our lips because people are watching. Now, I'm sure those prayers were asking, Lord, set us free. I mean, if it was me, it would have been. I think for most of us, okay, Lord, this isn't fun, set us free, but that was mixed with praise. But wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, no matter what, Lord, I am going to praise you because you are worthy, no matter what I'm going through. So get me out of here, praise your name. I mean, you know, there's a mixture of both, I'm sure. And then the fourth thing about facing persecution We'll fare much better if we do it, if we face it in a community with other believers. Honestly, look at what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 32, says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict of suffering. He's calling it, you went through a, a great conflict of suffering. And then he says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. There were times when you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. You were really going through it. Then he says, at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. As I read that, I thought, wait a minute. I mean, sometimes they were being persecuted and other times... They were just standing by someone else and being a support and being a help to someone else in the community of faith that was being ill-treated, that was being persecuted. Sometimes they were the target of persecution. Other times they stood in support with others who were the target of persecution. So one of the benefits of of, uh, of being a part of a community of believers One of the benefits is that we have others who are there to support us and to encourage us, and they support you and you support them. 
That's part of the beauty of being in the family, uh, the, the family of God. You know, as, I, as, as I've read through, again, as I've read through account after account after account of, of uh, modern-day people who are being persecuted, this theme of support from the body of Christ, of help from the community of believers, comes up over and over and over. And there could be a lone believer somewhere that that is... Um, you know, I, I, I've read this a number of times. There's like I thought I was the only one around. I didn't know anybody, any other believers were around me. And 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 when they received the encouragement of someone else, all of a sudden they it just gave them a courage and gave them a faith and gave them strength to go on. Because they knew they weren't the only one. Being a part of a community of believers is so important. I can't overestimate the importance of being an active part of the community of believers. I cannot overestimate that. Steve Solms, the pastor I was saved under, I love him dearly, and um, uh, he will always hold a special place in my heart, and he had a way of saying things, and he said something to me, uh, well, I've heard him preach this, I've heard him say it to me, I've heard him say it to numerous others, it's the banana that leaves the bunch that gets peeled. And it sounds so simple. It sounds silly. But you know what? It's right. Do you ever peel a banana that's still in the bunch? Don't you separate it first and then peel it? Being with a bunch of bananas is important. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> uh, we need other believers. We do not want to be a Lone Ranger believer when persecution comes, believe me, or now either. The fifth way we face persecution is with eternal perspective. And just give me, I'll just give you real quickly a few scriptures here. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16, Paul says, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. You know, this is somebody that what went through being shipwrecked, went through being beaten, you know, stoned nearly to death, uh, you know, uh, flogged. I mean, he's, he'd been through it all. And, and it says, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory vastly uh, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we, now, uh, things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So much in that. In comparison, any difficulty, any persecution, anything that we go through, no matter how difficult it may seem this side of eternity, is nothing compared to the glory that, that waits for us on the other side. Nothing. There's no comparison. When we get there, we'll look back and say, oh, that was nothing. It is so worth it. You see, all of the lesser troubles we go through today train us for the greater trouble we go through later. And then it is all so worth it.
this week, uh, go to YouTube, go to Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you have, and look up Rita Springer's song, Worth It All. It's an older song, but Rita Springer did a song, Worth It All, a number of years ago, and, and just listen to that. Because everything we go through on this side of eternity is going to be so worth it once we get there. Hebrews 13, 14. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking for a home yet to come. We need to be reminded of that. This is not our home. We, do not, we are not residents here. We are, we are not citizens here. We're just visiting. Larry Norman's old song, Just Visiting This Planet. How many know who Larry Norman was? One. Pam, we're old. Okay. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 21. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Our citizenship is not of this world. This is temporary. No matter how permanent it may seem, Everything around us is temporary. Now I want to leave with one more thought. And then we'll get ready to close. Notice I said we'll get ready to close. Not we'll close, but no. We're going to give you this thought and then I want us to pray. Whenever you think or hear about persecution coming against the church, you know, message like today or you know, you're reading accounts of persecution either in the Bible or like on the Open Doors app or in uh, 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 Voice of Martyrs publications or any, anything else. There are different ministries that I would encourage you to look up and, and uh, uh, look up and check out and be constantly reading, continually reading stories of modern-day persecutions. Um. Whenever you think or hear about persecution in the church, remember this. Jesus gave us a promise in Matthew 16, and that promise is this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not come against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, not come against it, will not prevail against it. In other words, the gates of hell and no matter how hard the enemy attacks, no matter how hard he comes against the church, the church will always survive. To sum it up in two words, we win. We will survive. So do not fear persecution. If, if, if you live the rest of your life and never experience it, that's wonderful. Praise God. Thank him for that blessing. But if it ever comes your way, I want you to remember this. I want you to face it. I want you to embrace it. I want you to rejoice in it. I want you to do it with the help of other believers. I want you to know how to face it so that you, as you go through it, you go through it with victory, and you don't have to fear it because it is not something to be feared.
Nothing can destroy the church. Let's pray. Let's stand. Father, we pray right now for our brothers and sisters around the globe that are experiencing persecution. Those sitting in prison cells in North Korea. Those in countries that are facing execution or torture. Those who have been so financially persecuted against that they're having a hard time putting a single meal on their table. Those who have had their homes burnt down because they refuse to give up their faith and are having to live either out in the open or in, in, in a, a, a home with a friend, with another believer. Those who are wondering how are they going to take care of their families just because they love you, Jesus, because they are, are, are faithful to you. I pray, Lord, we lift them up to you now when we ask that you would give them strength. Give them strength to go through the difficulty that they're, that they're going through. Give them comfort, comfort, both physical comfort for the wounds, emotional and mental comfort, Lord. Give them provision. Give them food to eat. Lord, you fed Elijah with ravens that would just bring food and drop it off for him. Give your provision. Give your food and clothing to those who are suffering right now, to those who are hungry, those who are in court cases fighting for their freedom, Lord. Give them favor in the courts. Heal their wounds. Encourage their hearts. And Lord, let them know that they are not alone. I pray right now that you would let them feel the prayers of your people. And know that they just know that they know that they know in their heart that right now someone is praying for them. And Lord, should we ever be called on, should we ever be called on to suffer like that, make us ready. Make us ready for that day that we would be faithful that we would be joyful, that we would have the endurance in our lives to withstand whatever the enemy throws against us. And that our lives would be a witness to those around us because we know that the world is always watching. Watching how we react, not just when things go well and we're blessed but when difficulty comes and when the struggle comes the world is watching how we handle it may we always be faithful and may we always bring glory and honor and praise to your name jesus it is in your name that we pray amen amen now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week this week.